contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up to the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hey, hello, what's happening, everyone? It is episode 40 of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm Tony Oikostas. And I'm Evan Nar. 40, if you could believe it, Tony, it feels like literally, I think a year ago when we, I think we mentioned this in the last pod, but almost about a year ago when we came up with uh, this idea of the podcast and willed it into existence. So 40 episodes in the course of 52 weeks for two fully you know full-time workers attorneys like it's pretty impressive <laughs> it is impressive uh to for, first of all um wh- what an achievement i i feel like congratulations are in order to you for putting up with me uh <laughs> and oh my, my god my- no no the congratulations <laughs> is to you i'm much more of a diva than you when we get on set i am so much more of a diva all the co-workers you, you, all the co-stars you, don't, say. you guys don't know this he always asks for a green room he's always complaining about the the vegetarian and the pescatarian options it's it's unreal i don't know some I, say that i've even kelly Rowland a few times <laughs> Right, exactly. If you're not familiar, Kelly Rowland left the set of the Today Show. Hysterical. Go look it up. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's such. It's so great uh, to now say that Ensign is officially a year old, and uh, we were, Evan and I cannot wait to keep making um, some great law content for all of you, especially as the entertainment law scene, as you guys know, continues to evolve ever so, um, you know, vastly and, and in such an amazing fashion. Yes. Totally agree and totally emulate that. And thank you for your patience. Uh, we did take a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, Tony was away on vacay, and we just decided that we wanted to enjoy that time. So here we are uh, back for episode 40. We have a fun episode for you this week. And next week, we're going to have a special guest with us as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Very exciting. Uh, and let's before we get into it, actually, I've, I forgot the whole how we do all this. <laughs> I will share now what we're going to do, our roadmap. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about a lawsuit that came down for the Amazon MGM movie Roadhouse starring Jake Gyllenhaal and former UFC fighter Conor McGregor. And it was a lawsuit that was actually just filed today on Wednesday, the the 28th, or at least it came out in the news today. I'm not sure if it was filed today. Uh, very interesting. We'll talk about some copyright related topics there. And then we were also going to talk about this viral Willy Wonka experience that's all over social oh media. God. If you have a social media app, maybe not Facebook, but at least Twitter or X or Instagram or TikTok, you have seen something about this. So we're going to go into a little bit of what that is if you haven't heard of it and maybe some of the legal ramifications of not properly maybe licensing the rights to have this immersive experience. And then we're also um, going to go into our fun question. In light of Dune releasing tomorrow, Thursday, Dune 2, that is, and the cast is so stacked for both Dune 1 and Amazing. Dune 2. Wow. Stacked. Who would you, in the cast, would you like to have a dinner with? Uh, what actor or actress would you like to have a dinner with? So let's get into it. Tony, our disclaimer, please. As always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Thank you, Tony. So 
I actually forgot to mention, just to reiterate, um, we spoke, I believe, either last episode or the episode before about a conglomerate of these entertainment companies coming together to create a sports platform. Uh, I believe it was, and Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, it was ESPN, which is owned by Disney, Fox, Yes, right? Fox is included, yep. And uh, WB, uh, WB Discovery. WB, Warner Brothers Discovery. And Fubo TV actually filed a lawsuit alleging anti-competitive practices. I believe Tony hypothesized uh, that this would happen and spoke it into existence. Just, just call me Nosha Tony. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> it was bound to happen. It was bound to happen. I think uh, there were. It, it's a brilliant idea. Uh, I think it perfectly caters to the whole cord cutting um, sort of template that a lot of uh, brands are trying to adopt because that is the reality. Cable bills are high. People aren't really watching cable television anymore, and streaming is king right now. Uh, the subscriber numbers clearly speak to that. Um, I think that entities like Fubo are kind of like the first to really jump on the bandwagon and realize that what potentially may be happening here could qualify as anti-competitive activity. And I can see why Fubo is doing this because Fubo is a partner of at least two of those entities. I believe that they have uh, W. I think they have uh, WB Discovery with some of the the. Um, I think the Discovery channels, um, and I definitely know that they have uh, ABC on there. So easily, you know, this is a ripe case on that front from an antitrust perspective. Um, I think we might see another cable provider or two in the next coming weeks or so, but really, really hot news coming out of the entertainment law scene within the last couple of weeks and uh, definitely want to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go into this Roadhouse case. So Roadhouse to set the scene uh, originally was a film back in 1989 starring Patrick Swayze. And now there is a 2024 iteration starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Conor McGregor. And it is directed by Doug Lyman, or it may be Lehman. I, 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 Lyman, actually. I think it's Lyman. Lyman. Okay. So Doug Lyman, uh, and, and Mr. Lyman has a pretty um, diverse resume. He was a producer on Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. He was the executive producer on the Suits TV show I see right here, 132 episodes. So he had a huge hand in the success of that show. Um, I see that he was also attached to the Netflix show The Recruit yep. as well. So this guy definitely has a resume. And... This this movie definitely has some drama behind it because it is going straight to streaming. Doug Lyman himself said that he is refusing to attend the career, uh, excuse me, the premiere of uh, this this movie because he's very upset that it's being sent straight to Prime Video. Um, so that is very interesting, just kind of to set the scene of the discourse that is around here. Uh, around this movie. So where are we? Basically, there is uh, a gentleman by the name of R. Lance Hill. He goes by the moniker of the Hollywood pen name David Lee Henry. So he wrote, and this is important to note, under his own volition, according to a lawsuit filed, a screenplay for Roadhouse. Uh, and it was eventually sold. There is a law in the Copyright Act of 1976, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. I believe that's correct, yep. um, that allows a author 
to claw back, or not even an author, anyone, a copyright owner, to claw back a copyright after 35 years. Tony, why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes, uh, and and you weren't wrong about using the word author. I think uh, the the Copyright Act is fairly generous with who qualifies as an author. You don't necessarily have to write a book to be one. It could be the creator of any work of authorship. But this is correct. There is a uh, term that's laid out in the Copyright Act of 1976, more specifically 17 U.S.C. Section 203, and it basically says that any works that were created after 1975, 1977, rather, um, since that's when the Copyright Act uh, officially, the new rendition went into effect, that essentially, if there is any work of authorship that someone individually creates. Uh, and then they assign copyright ownership over to another entity, which is what uh, Evan was alluding to with the sale of this specific uh, script that um, uh, David Lee Henry did. Um, there is a time period that could elapse that allows then the original copyright owner to try to revert the assignment. And it's specifically laid out that it's 35 years from date of assignment that then there could be a full essentially a termination of that assignment and the reversion of rights would go back to the original copyright owner. Um, and there are some other dates that are, are years that are relevant as well. I think the soonest that you could make a, a notice of termination, I believe is 28 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's really laid out all in like the 200 part of the, of the uh, copyright act, the 200 section of it. But the, the core of it, what everybody knows, uh, at least in the, within the copyright community, is that usually when a copyright is assigned, you have 35 years from the assignment date to terminate the, that assignment, and the original author would get their rights back. It's also uh, important to talk about the concept of work for hire. And this is, you know, every intellectual property person knows about this. Work for hire is basically when, I mean, exactly what it sounds like, when someone <laughs> is contracted to do work for someone. And it usually is the person that does the contracting. Let's say, you know, I'm Disney. I'm contracting Tony to write me a screenplay. Disney would own that screenplay. Exactly. Even though Tony is doing the work, it is a work for hire. I'm specifically going to Tony to get this, uh, to to have him write my script. And and to that point, real brief, that would be very, I mean, it it would be, you would be an idiot if you didn't do this, but that exact relationship that you're talking about would even have to be clearly spelled out in a contract that yes. is so specific that it makes no dispute whatsoever that upon the delivery of whatever the final product is, that the employee that was acting as a work for hire is conveying full and copyright ownership over. And there is no language about assignment. It is non-existent in that contract. Right. Hugely important. Um, all this to say, the caveat in the Copyright Act is, you know, Tony mentioned this whole clawback provision, 35 years, works for hire are exempt from clawing back. Mm-hmm. So if using Tony's using the Tony as an example, if Tony was working for Disney while writing this screenplay, he can't say after 35 years, oh, I'm going to take it back. Exactly. If Tony, of course, made this on his own, which we believe is the case here then you can bring it back. Yep. So very, very important to note there. And and I forgot to mention that this this movie sounds like a very interesting premise. It's about a bodyguard, uh, or excuse me, a, a, a bouncer, 
mind you, who is outside bars that really, you know, he has a, I quote, a body covered in scars, but in peak physical condition. He exudes a studied nature when it comes to his work, a sort of art of war approach to being a bouncer. And I, t- I don't know, Tony, if you've watched the trailer, but it was pretty cool that the end scene, I love the camera work that was going on. It it, um, it really looks great. And also, um, I don't know if you remember, but I want to say maybe like a year and a half ago, there was an actual UFC fight that paused because they were filming yes. a scene of Jake Gyllenhaal in yep. the octagon as yep. this, I, I'm assuming that's going to be a flashback scene to his UFC days. Exactly. I thought I thought that was so cool. So I really can't wait to see how the back behind the scenes clip that we saw sort of gets, uh, you know, interpreted in the uh, on screen rendition that we'll see on Amazon Prime. Yeah, totally. Um, so the, the the waters are a little muddy here. OK, so <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the, <laughs> the waters are the waters are a little muddy. So Hill, the guy who wrote the original screenplay, was given a story credit on the remake starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, as well as a credit based on the motion picture roadhouse screenplay by David Lee Henry. So they are giving him credit here. It's very interesting. You know, it's, it's a very, you know, semantic thing here, right? Are they using his exact screenplay to make this movie? Are there going to be similar lines to what uh, David Lee Henry wrote, or is it just based off of, I mean, and, and I'm thinking Tony, if this was not a work for hire, which signs point to it not being that, I still believe you need to get approval yeah. from the screenplay author to derive any sort of spinoffs or remakes based on his work. I'm glad you brought that up because if there, I mean, I think the terms of the assignment would have to lay out, you know, exactly what. What approvals, if at all, exist in that relationship between him, David Lee Henry, and MGM Studios? One thing I will say that as you were talking just popped in my head, when someone is the copyright owner of any work of authorship, film, television shows, music, whatever, that copyright owner has the right to make derivative works based on that original work of authorship. This is clearly spelled out, irrefutable in the Copyright Act of 1976. There are six exclusive rights that immediately vest with the copyright owner. And one of those rights is the derivative work right, which means that the copyright owner can make derivatives of the original, or if someone else wants to make derivatives of the original, they would have to go to the original copyright owner to get that permission. So to your point, we don't know the exact you know, storyline of this uh, movie, or at least what what's to come. But I would venture to say that they definitely created a derivative because the 1986 version, or the 1989 version rather, didn't display Patrick Swayze as a former UFC middleweight uh, champion or, or middleweight fighter. So right. is that change in the script alone enough to be like a new copyright for MGM that they could say, yeah, fine, you could have the rights back, but we created our own version of Roadhouse. I mean, it's it's it really has the same. T- it has the same title. It has right. the same premise. The same occupation. Right. It, it is no coming to America, though. Um, like in the, uh, you may remember from Entertainment Law, we went through the uh, Buckwald versus Paramount case. Um, that was where there was an option contract that kept getting renewed, renewed, renewed by you know um, Paramount. Art Buckwald kept working on rewrites. They ended up basically trashing him to the side of the road and they went forward with his screen treatment to make uh you know a movie that ended up becoming coming to america and his whole 
he won his case based on the words based upon in his option contract. So I think what you're getting at could be the smoking gun in all of this. Is there some type of contractual language from the date that the script was assigned from uh, David Lee Henry over to MGM? Was there some type of language similar to based upon or something that alluded to that? Because dare I say, if that is the case, I don't think this is going to go to litigation. This might actually just end up in a settlement because the, the, the evidence is facial at that point. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And and also to further muddy the waters, there is AI implications here. Uh the lawsuit alleges that the uh the Amazon Studios resorted to using generative artificial intelligence to replicate the voices of the movie's actors in violation of the CBA of SAG-AFTRA and the DGA. Uh MGM Amazon MGM has said that this lawsuit is completely without merit and that numerous allegations are categorically false. Uh, and they also went on to say the film does not use any AI in place of actors' voices. We look forward to defending ourselves against these claims. So they seem ready to go to bat. It's very interesting. And it's also worth noting that there have been several successful um, clawbacks. Uh, you know, Friday the 13th, I think we spoke about uh, in a previous episode, and also uh, Jerry Siegel's Superman, right? So there are th- this has happened before. It's not uncommon. Uh, and you know, the fact that Lance our Lance Hill is, is trying to block the movie from coming out. I don't know how realistic that is, but perhaps he can get paid, uh, you know, some sort of fee in some way. But again, I'm not in the courtroom. I don't decide this. We'll see what happens. Very interesting, uh, to see. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Let's move on to this Willy Wonka experience. I mean, my God. This is something else. It uh, I don't even know how to describe it. I'll, I'll try to set the scene for you. So in Glasgow, which is in Scotland, um, there was a Willy Wonka inspired chocolate experience uh, that that costs around thirty five pounds per ticket. So it's not a free event. It's not cheap. I mean, that's equivalent to around forty to forty two U.S. dollars. Um, and basically, it was advertised as, I don't know, what, what was the exact title? Willie's Chocolate Experience, right? But it the, the, the kicker is that it had zero affiliation with the Willy Wonka franchise in terms of it was not associated with the studio who owns the rights, which is Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, and of course, in light of Timothy Chalamet's iteration of Wonka, which has done very well at the box office. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think that's a surprise. I mean, it, it is directed by the Paddington director. Yep, yep. You know, a lot of a lot of people love that. It was a very very heartfelt movie. And it was good. Yeah. People people love Chalamet. Um, you know, it makes sense to strike iron while it's hot and make this experience. So, <laughs> what what went on here is first of all, the police were called. Uh, children were very very scared. People said that it was. It, people called it a meth lab. Uh, there was a AI. Th- there was a 15-page script that was generated from AI, which made absolutely no sense. Uh, there were, you know, the event website touted in- interactive exhibits and images shared in the site couldn't be found elsewhere on the internet through reverse image searches. Some bore known hallmarks of AI creation, most notably strange and nonsensical lettering. Um, <laughs> 
the script they were given appeared AI generated because of its gibberish wording. So it, it, it was very, very interesting. Some liken it to the fire festival. Uh, there was a scary <laughs> character named the unknown, which kind of looks like a death eater yeah, from Harry that. Potter yeah. that would, that would pop out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And also there was no chocolate involved. Uh, there was a single jelly bean given to guests and a cup of lemonade. So this sounds very eerie. Uh, the police got involved, of course, and, you know, a, this is, of course, very scary because of AI and God forbid this could have turned out to be much, you know, much scarier and detrimental than it actually was. It just seemed to be a ripoff. But let's talk about the intellectual property implications here. First, let's start with licensing. Tony, why don't you lay the groundwork? You know, we usually see these location based experiences, you know, at New York Comic Con, they'll have a marvel booth which you know whoever's putting that on had the license from marvel you name it halloween horror nights right this is this prime example if there is a stranger things walk through a haunted house you need to get the rights to use 11 vecna the under uh you know the upside down from netflix so why was this problematic did you see any sort of indication that there was rights from Warner Brothers Discovery that were given here. Well, I will say that there is well well first of all, if you have not seen the images of the actual warehouse, wow. I have to I have to look it up. Uh, it, you have to. Like it, it basically let me put it to you this way, a budget birthday party like in the middle of Arkansas probably could do a better job and <laughs> <laughs> building the venue than what what came out of Glasgow. Um there's like even one photo that's out there that shows like what clearly was bought at like a party city of a backdrop of probably like that's used at a Willy Wonka birthday party, but I'm a party city. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, so let's first start with the fact that they're using, like, as Evan said, they're using characters that are, or, or, well, certainly the characters, but they're also using themes and elements that are common in the Willy Wonka film, you know, the Gene Wilder version and likely any other iteration of it, um, you know, including even the Johnny Depp stuff. All of that is something that is protected under copyright. Obviously, the Roald Dahl version of Charlie, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is protected under copyright in its own way. Remember that Warner Brothers has the film rights to it, though. So their rendition, their portrayal of Willy Wonka is separate and distinct from the copyright that is that exists with the uh, book uh, series. Um, yes. So, you know, from from the the decor with the lollipops and even like the use of like the random mushrooms, like that's all something that is obviously very much akin to the Willy Wonka films. I'm even looking at how they're using the like the Ars Technica actually has a screenshot of their website and even the illustration of their logo Willie's chocolate experience the W is exactly the W that is commonly seen in the Willy Wonka films with the little curly end to the W I mean I if I were if I were analyzing this from like from the perspective of WB's in-house counsel I'm even looking at a potential trademark issue because this could create consumer confusion. This could induce some level, which it did. It clearly did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it clearly could be the scenario where, you know, if, if if this is creating some type of false endorsement that this is coming from WB, what do you think this is going to do? It's going to dilute the brand. It's going to dilute even the recognition that 
Willy Wonka has been known for for nearly 40 decades, maybe even 50 decades if we're if we're talking about it from the 70s franchise. So clearly there are a lot of red flags. You know, I mean, I, I think this is your typical case of a scenario where you shut this down immediately with a cease and desist. I have no doubt in my mind that that will be honored because the cost of litigation is really not worth it here. Obviously, they could go after and sue them for copyright infringement and trademark infringement since they actively made a profit off of so many families. I mean, like you have you said, Evan, it's thirty five pounds a pop, which is around forty five bucks. I yep. mean, that that's they could probably get that money back and then some. And frankly, you know, it's it's a very uh, tricky territory to play with someone else's copyright and trademarks when you never got the permission, and that could have all been avoided if a simple email was sent out. Yeah, and it's and especially a big studio too. In light of you know the success of Wonka, they could definitely capitalize on this by creating an, an immersive event. Uh, so this doesn't make sense. I'm looking online right now. There is a Facebook group called House of Illuminati Scam. Uh, House of Illuminati is the company that put on this event, and I'm just I'm going through this, and it is amazing what I'm seeing here. Uh, there, there was even a CNN reporter that infiltrated the group asking for people to reach out for comment. They have the videos. They have a wo- the, the, the woman that played an Oompa Loompa that looks like she's in a meth house with all the smoke around her. It, it, is, <laughs> it is absolutely crazy. This is a public group. People are wanting refunds and everything like that. Um, I, by the way, I actually have to. I'm sorry. I have to. I have to read this. The, so you were talking about how all, the website is filled with AI generated images, filled with gibberish. Yeah. Okay. I found one. So they have. I guess they had like slides where they they show like the different illustrations. So one of the one of the slides is for captivating entertainment, and in the illustration, I'm actually going to share it on the screen here so that um, you can see what it looks like. So on the illustration. They're talking about how there's catgacating live performances, Karchi Tuns, uh, <laughs> Exar Sir Dre lollipops, and a pasadice of sweet teats. <laughs> Who amongst us doesn't love to get sweet teats <laughs> from Willy Wonga? For real. Oh my God. I, 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 ha- I have to admit, though, Tony, it does fit in the realm of Willy Wonka because there he does have these eccentric fake names. names. Yeah, that's that is true, honestly. So I mean, I mean it, 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 yeah, <laughs> it is believable. Let me let me see the other ones on the screen. Go, uh, go to the so, other pictures. So, so they have the Twilight Tunnel. And oh yeah, like the, the, like not even remotely indicative of what it looks like. This one's it crazy. Looks like a, yeah, it's uh. So it, what we have on screen is the Imagination Lab, which, by the way, they had the gall to put they were trademark. A, yeah, TM, a please give me a break, okay? Also, it, on the illustration, it's titled Imagination Lab. Uh, I mean, this is just unreal. I, honestly, good good on people complaining about this, and I I now I'm hoping that Warner Brothers sues them. Forget the season desist. Just get the index number and <laughs> go after them. It look it looks it looks legit. I mean, honestly, if I was not an educated consumer, I would absolutely fall for this. Yeah, uh, yeah which definitely. leads us to a an, another. Uh, this is a good transition. Good job, Evan. Pat on the back. Um, <laughs> in uh, on the UK website, they're marketing and advertising law. 
So this is advertising to consumers. It says the consumer protection from unfair trading regulations means you cannot mislead or harass consumers by, for example, including false or deceptive messages, leaving out important information, or using aggressive sales techniques. So I think the first two, including false or deceptive messages, I mean, you just showed these uh, these AI-generated advertisements look, you know, not even remotely close to what the consumers actually experience. And beyond that, leaving out important information, there was no, you know, it would probably be best to say this is unofficial, not not affiliated with Warner Brothers Discovery, or this is a, you know, um, a fan event, something along those lines. None of that was mentioned. If I was an uneducated consumer and I want to bring my kids to a Wonka experience, especially with the the whimsicalness of the movie that just released, I would I would be tricked. Absolutely. So it, it seems like a cookie cutter case of, you know, um, false advertising, uh, infringement of trademarks. I mean, you name it. The, the laundry list goes on. Very interested to see how this develops. Um, come with me and you'll and you'll be. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Um, I, I, th- I and- think uh, Warner Brothers. I think Warner Brothers will be in for a sweet teat in, as a result of this lawsuit. <laughs> w- w- <laughs> Willy Wonka's teats, uh, teat teat pics just released on the internet. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, the teats are single jelly beans and a cup of lemonade. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> let's let's move on. Um, very interesting. We'll see what happens there. So the fun question is: In light of Dune releasing. Who on the Dune 1 or Dune 2 cast would you want to have dinner with? I want to start off by saying that Tony and I had this this, um, game that we played about box office guesses and who would have the the highest box office. I'm so upset because I chose Dune 2. That got delayed because of the strike, by the way. If you, you I already blew him out of the water with Barbie. I already blew him out of the water with Barbie. And Mario but, Brothers also. And, and Mario. But if Dune was also on my list oh. it would have been like uh i don't even know demo- so i would i would i would be literally headless on this podcast right now <laughs> Dem- demolition and i mean uh, props to you you chose elemental as one of your five which it had it got some legs when it went on disney plus yeah um yeah. but We'll see. Anyway, uh, so fun question. So, Tony, why don't you go first? I feel like we might choose the same one, but maybe not. I don't know if we will. So I think a lot of you are thinking very predictably that I'll choose Austin Butler only because of like my fascination with his portrayal of Elvis. And I'm, I'm just imagining, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, mama, 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 mama. <laughs> they took the spices. <laughs> Bez. So it could be that. Uh, it could, I would even love an opportunity with Dave Bautista because he genuinely seems like a nice guy. But I'm actually going to choose Christopher Walken, who will be really yes. Who, I thought you were going to go Josh Brolin, but go ahead, go I, ahead with Walken. I uh, so he will be playing uh, Shotham the Fourth, the uh, Padisha, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, yeah, please, uh, please try again. <laughs> <laughs> Padisha, uh, emperor, uh, um, and he of the known universe, and he, I, I, I think he will be just so mesmer- mesmerizing to see on screen. He, he's just like such an eccentric actor, and 
like if you haven't seen him in movies like Batman Returns or in like was he in Catch Me with You Catch Me if you he can? was in Catch You Catch Me if you can. I mean, uh, he's he's such a legacy. Hairspray. <laughs> Annie Hall. I totally forgot he's in Annie Hall. Uh, Greenwich Village. Uh, Next stop Greenwich Village, which is an amazing movie. Um, you know he he's just been in like so many great movies. Oh, I forgot Man on Fire, Wedding Crashers. I mean, he's just. He's just such a like You're forgetting I said, balls of fury. Oh, balls of fury, definitely. You remember, did you see that movie? Of course, absolutely. Iconic <laughs> ping pong movie. Definitely. You know the spices. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, whoa. 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 Uh, Paul Atreides. Oh, whoa. You come in my house, and there were two mice that churn butter. You know. Do, do you know who I am? <laughs> oh my god We're, this is turning into the walk uh, i am the the patty shah <laughs> um, I, I, i'm very excited i'm actually i'm reading the dune book i have 300 pages to read by tomorrow wish me luck godspeed <laughs> um but he, you know the emperor is a very calculating character and you know we haven't seen walking on the screen for some time I think so, his last uh, movie was Jungle Book, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and maybe, that, was, uh, that wasn't even a on screen. Other cameos here and there. Yeah, that wasn't on screen, right? Exactly. Well, technically, yeah, you know, was it a, was live action. Uh, you know, live it, action. It's, it's, it's something. Um, although it's kind of funny, is he had a great commercial for the uh, Super Bowl. He was in yes. that. Yes. Uh, yes. Was it the BMW commercial, or I forgot what the commercial, what the car commercial was? It was a car. It was a car commercial, but I'm not sure if it was BMW. Yeah, it might have been. Uh, or Mercedes. It was a luxury car for sure. But um, anyway, I, I just think that he is so well-respected uh, and I, I I just would be fascinated having a conversation with him. It, it, it would just be like an absolute honor to sit across from him on a table. So that would be my pick if I had one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'm up in the air. I, I'm stuck between Josh Brolin and Florence Pugh. I think they are mm-hmm. both very similar personalities i've watched i don't don't know why i become recently become very uh, obsessive over josh brolin because i just think he is so damn cool you know he's so suave um and and i love i love his um his swagger and his confidence really i mean he doesn't care about what anyone thinks he he wrote these um poems in a dune book that was shot by cinematographer Greg Frazier, which I actually, I have uh, like a, a scrapbook of sorts during their filming. And everyone's making fun of him on, on, on X for, you know, they, they post a picture of a, of a girl twirling her, her legs in the air. And it says after every scene, this is what Josh Brolin is doing. And it shows that that woman doodling in a book and everyone's like, Oh, so, so Josh wants to kiss Timothy Chalamet on the lips. Like he was making these very, <laughs> um, uh, romantic poems, but he he came out on GMA the other day and he was like, you know, he's like, that says a lot about them more than it does about me. You know, he knows, he's very aware. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. And then Florence Pugh is also hilarious. Her laugh is captivating. Uh, we're not too far in age, Florence and I. So I feel like obviously she is a star and I am not. Um, <laughs> but I You're feel Nar. Like, she's I, the star. I'm Nar and she's the star. Um, but, you know, I love that we are similar in age, you know, that we were, you know, we, we graduated college and all this stuff. So it would be cool to have someone 
uh, that that has experienced life through a different lens, even though we have the same amount of years on this earth together. And she's just so funny. And, and so is Berlin. I actually, it would be a dream to have a, a dinner with the three of them. And then you and Walken can sit next to us. We'll get oh, us yeah, a, exactly. a, a reservation at Nobu. <laughs> Um, um, it would it would be at that point where Christopher Walken would see Josh Brolin and be like, "Whoa, Goonies never say die." And <laughs> I don't know if you know. Actually, have you ever seen Goonies? I have. I, I love that movie. Easily one of my favorite movies because of the young acting ensemble with Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, Hugh Kwan, Josh Brolin. I mean, th- that is just like a star. Jeff Cohen, I forgot, who is actually Key's attorney in yep. real life. Amazing. Yep. Cohen it's Gardner, so LLP. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's I have seen Goonies. It wasn't my favorite. Um, but I mean, first of all, let's talk about Josh Brolin. The guy is ageless. He looks almost so good. identical as he did doesn't age and he's just a really cool guy I've, I've, yeah. I've seen him in person a few times like really cool and hollywood royalty because his father's james brolin so and had respect. who's james brolin married to uh james brolin was married to barbara streisand if i'm not mistaken correct they are currently married uh they're currently married right yeah yes. that's right yeah. um so very very iconic family um all right that'll bring us to the end of episode 40 this iconic episode and Next week, we will have a special guest, so tune in for that. We're going to talk about celebrity licensing, which will be a very interesting topic, which I don't believe we have discussed before, so stay tuned for that. We will have a masterclass. Uh, Our guest, her name is Nicole, and we will go into that more next week. And of course, thank you to all of you guys for listening. Thank you to where we started our podcast at PH Knitwear, Serge and the team over there. Uh, thank you to my cousin, Hunter Zarin, for the theme music. Tony, what else do we have? Bring us on home. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, obviously, we can't wait for next week's episode. So until next time, and scene. scene.